Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want to um, share a few things with you from the Word, and we won't take very long today. Um, how many of you enjoyed our conference last weekend? Did you, did you like that? Wasn't that cool? I, I just think it's so neat that when God, when God shows up, He just fixes things and He adjusts things and He changes people and He does stuff in us that we really couldn't do otherwise. And um, I personally always enjoy the time in the conference. I enjoy very much the time uh, in the evenings after the conference, I should say the night. Uh, when I get to spend time with whoever's our guest ministers. I always enjoy that. And uh, for me personally, that's something that I've, that I've always enjoyed since I was a kid. Uh, with my dad being a pastor, we would oftentimes go, you know, spend time with the guest ministers, spend time with all the other preachers that were at the meeting. And it was my, always my joy to sit at the table and just listen to those guys and ladies talk. And, uh, you know, you end up learning as much it, at, at Applebee's afterwards as you did in the, in the service, right? You know what I mean? So, uh, so it was a great time. And the, the third thing that I love about conferences, because I was kind of raised in conferences, um, the third thing that I love is the time afterwards when you get to just reflect and you get to think about the words that God spoke to you. You get to think about the, the things that God dropped in your heart. And um, I, so I've taken this past week and have just reflected on so many different things, so many of the statements that the Lord made to me, so much of what he said and did uh, in my life this week. And I, I hope that you've had the chance to do the same thing. I hope that you've been able to take some quiet, reflective time. Uh, and if you haven't, I encourage you to do that because it's just really a life-changing practice. But um, I always come back to the same to the same passage every time I find myself in a meeting or in a conference or in a service where the Lord really is moving strong and the Spirit of God does something really big. Um, I always come back to the same passage. And so I want us to look through this passage today. Uh, I believe I've talked to you about this before, but uh, I believe it's a great reminder for us. So if, if you would turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, while you're turning, we'll make our confession of faith this morning that we love to make. Amen. You'll see it up there on the screen. Let's say it out loud together this morning. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. We believe that's going to happen today. Amen. So um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to begin, let's see, where do I want to begin? Um, let's start in verse 15. No, let's start in verse 14. Let's start in verse 13, amen? 13, verse 13. <laughs> we'll just start at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians and read the whole book. What do you think? No, 1 Thessalonians 5, let's start in verse 13. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, 
Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who will also do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity once again to come before your word. We thank you, Father, that you're not done speaking to your church. We thank you that though you have given us the word as a guide, as a comfort, as direction, that you have not stopped speaking, Lord, that you will continue from your word to speak to our hearts, that you will administer strength, that you will administer grace and peace to the hearers today. Lord, I thank you that we have an opportunity today to hear from your word, perhaps something we've never heard before. Lord, I pray that you would quicken a word to our hearts today that would set us on course and would keep us in the things that you have for us to walk in. So minister your grace to your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. So in, in, in years past, I remember the first time I really discovered this passage, if you can call it a discovery. Um, but I discovered this passage. Um, we had just finished a conference in our church in Florida. This was years and years ago. Um, I was very, very new in the ministry. My father had, had, we had planted a church down in Florida, and it was, it was growing. It was very successful. We were moving forward in the things of God, and um, he had tasked me with preaching and teaching some. Uh, I'll never forget the first time he gave me a series. It was the coolest thing in the world. I had three Wednesday nights in a row that I could preach whatever I wanted to. And so I made a series out of it. I still remember it. I preached Isaiah 60, 61, and 62, and it was, it was awesome. But, uh, well, actually, it probably wasn't that awesome. If I went back and listened to it, I would probably be pretty disappointed with it. Uh, however, I was new in the ministry, and we had just come through a, uh, a, a powerful meeting. It was a camp meeting. It was a week-long kind of revival conference. And um, I remember asking the Lord... What, what is it, Lord, that I need to do to be a faithful steward of the things that you have done in my life through this conference? What are the things, Lord, that I need to do? Where, where, how do I need to grow so that I can steward the things that you've done in me? And I remember I, he took me to this passage, and then a couple, maybe a year or two after that, um, I actually got to teach this passage to our church at the end of, a, of another conference. And, and so I was, I was wondering, Lord, what, how, how can I take the things you've done in my life and continue and perpetuate those things and not fall off the wagon? 
Have you ever been in a scenario or a season or a time where God does something really special in your life in a moment, and then six months or six weeks later, you look back and you go, darn it, I lost the momentum of that moment. Yeah, anybody? Has that ever happened to you? Because it's happened to me a lot. It's happened throughout my life in different times. God will speak a word. He'll do something. He'll strengthen me somehow. He'll minister to me in a moment of time. Maybe it's at a meeting. Maybe it's at a conference. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's when you travel to another city to go to a conference and you're outside of your normal element. And so God is able to really impact you. Maybe you went on a missions trip. And on the missions trip, God moved so significantly and it just changed your life. And then you come home back to normal and all the momentum seems to just wear down. Y'all have been there before, haven't you? I, I started to observe these things in my own life, and I started to say, Lord, I, I want to know how to change that. I want to know how to turn. How do I take the, the thing you've done in me and sustain the power of it continually? I don't want to burn out, right? And he took me to this passage. And the funny thing that I realized was that none of the things he began to speak to me were exciting. None of the things in this passage were things that got my heart racing. It, none of these things in this passage were like Holy Ghost charismatic things. You know, they were not like powerful in the moment kind of things. They, they were all seemed kind of boring and kind of dull and kind of routine. And I realized that God's not just the God of, you know, the mountaintop moment. He's the God of the routine as well, right? And I realized that if I was going to steward the powerful moment from God, I was going to have to learn how to adjust my routine. I was going to have to work on my things like my attitude, things like, uh, you know, putting my flesh under. If you look down through this passage, all these things are stuff that in the moment you probably don't want to do. Rejoice always. It doesn't say rejoice when you're happy. If you're happy, you don't need to rejoice. You're already happy. If you're ticked off, you need to rejoice. Rejoice. It's a, the word actually means to joy again. Get happy again. I think it was Aaron uh, Jones talked about that, I think, last weekend. Re rejoice means to get happy again. Why? Because you're not happy anymore. Right? See, the things that God will, the things that God begins in us, he doesn't intend for them only to, to start and stop in those moments. The things that God does that are significant in our lives, he actually wants for those things to continue. He wants your life to become stable and sound. Amen. When you think about the, Paul speaking to his son in the faith, Timothy, what does he tell him? God has not given us what? A spirit of fear. But what has he given us? A spirit of power, love, and watch the third one, a sound mind. Sound, stable, secure, repetitive. You see, we charismatics, we don't like routine, right? I don't know about you, but if you grew up in a church like I grew up in, you don't like routine. I want to wing it every service. Just see what God will do, you know. 
Don't prepare. Heavens no. Why would you do that? <laughs> right? See, we, we get caught, in, we get caught in, a, in a paradox. We get caught in either we over-prepare and, and we're stiff or we're so completely unprepared and we wouldn't know the Holy Spirit if he walked through with a big red hat on. Right? I believe we can have both, don't you? I believe my life can be so stable and I can be so free at the same time in God that he could actually work through me, right? Amen? So I asked the Lord, how do I steward this? How do I take this moment, this impact, this powerful moment in my life? How do I take the residue of this conference we just went through and keep it going in my life? And I always come back to 1 Thessalonians 5. All of it has to do with the internal motives of your heart. All of it has to do with internal things. He says, esteem them very highly. Who are those? He says, uh, go go back to verse 13, and we'll just kind of pick through this for a few more minutes. Verse 13, esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. Who Who is the them in this. Well, you'd have to read the previous verse, but it says, those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Your leaders is who he is talking about. One of the first places, if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. One of the first places that the enemy will try to attack you after God does something significant in your life is he will try to disrupt your relationship with your leaders. Amen. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter uh, if it's your parents. Doesn't matter if it's your boss. Doesn't matter if it's church leadership or governmental leadership. Does not matter. One of the places, in fact, one of the first places that the enemy tries to target us in our lives is to disrupt our relationship with leadership. All right? And especially I found this potent after God does significant things in our church. Seems like the time when relationships become most fragile is after the Lord does something significant. So we need to learn to be on our guard and protect our relationships, protect our relationships with our leaders, protect our marriage relationships, protect our relationships with our kids. It's one of the first places the enemy is going to come after. It never ceases to amaze me. God does something super cool. In a church, somebody gets healed. We have all these great testimonies and great amazing things. And then the next week, there's fallout. It's true. It's true. Amen. Because we, we live in an imperfect world filled with imperfect people and, and filled with a devil who doesn't like us. And so he's going to where? Attack us, our leadership and our relationships. That's why he says... Esteem them very highly in love for the sake of their works and be at peace among yourselves. When God does something significant in your life, please hear this. When God does something significant in your life, one of the first areas you need to set up a guard is around your peace. Amen. When the Lord's working in you and working through you, be, be, be forewarned that the enemy will come after your peace, that he will try to disrupt your relationships. Amen. Be at peace among yourselves. Well, how do we be at peace among ourselves? Well, Paul keeps going with some instruction on how to remain at peace. 
Now we exhort you, verse 14. Brethren, warn those who are unruly. The, the, word, the word there is insubordinate or idle. Isn't that interesting? Warn those who are idle. What is, what is the statement about idle hands? The devil's workshop. That's what it is. That's the one I was trying to think of. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. It's interesting to me that when it comes to protecting our relationships and being at peace with each other, um, I find that the people after a move of God who are the most idle, oh God, this is hard to say, the, the folks who are the most idle are often the ones who have the loudest opinions. Yeah, you can hear a pin drop. The ones who are the most unruly and the ones who are the most idle are the ones who voice the loudest criticism. It's real easy to shout criticism from the sidelines. I've told you many times about the wonderful people that sit a couple rows behind us at the football games at ASU. These titans of football knowledge. <laughs> they, they spew forth their complaints to the coaches, to the referees, to the players. Why did you do that? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Ref, get your eyes checked. Blah, 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 blah. And, and everything in me Every time I hear this, wants to stand up, turn around, and loudly, vocally say to them, shut up, because you're not on the field. You don't know what it's like to be on the field. You are sitting comfortably at the 50-yard line, looking down and passing judgment, and you have no idea what it's like to be on the field. Some, something I heard one time is that don't worry about the booze. They always come from the cheap seats. Did you ever hear that before? Don't worry about the people that are booing you. They're just, they're just always coming from the cheap seats. He says, warn those who are idle. Then, then watch what he says. Comfort the faint-hearted. Some people come through our doors and they're faint-hearted. They don't have the heart to continue. They, all they want to do is lay down because the battle's been so difficult and the challenge has been so tough and I've been in the thick of it this week, Pastor, and, and I need you to comfort me. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to come and comfort my heart. How are we going to steward a move of God? We're going to comfort the faint-hearted. Amen. We're, first of all, we're not going to be idle. We're not going to be, you know, shouting, you know, our, uh, our, our critique from the cheap seats. We're going to get involved. We're going to help. And we're going to be a part of what God wants to do. And in that, we're going to need to comfort each other. There are some days when you may feel faint-hearted. There are some moments when you may be sitting next to somebody on Sunday morning and you don't even know the battle that they're in. You don't even know the challenge that they're dealing with. And, and it's our job to comfort them. Amen. Comfort 
the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. See, these are not, these are not things that seem overly spiritual, right? Oh, this list of things Paul tells us. These are not overly spiritual items, but they are the things that will sustain and support the moving of God's Spirit. If you want more supernatural activity in our church, then be, be really a stickler about these practical things. Amen. Learn to comfort. Learn to warn the unruly. Learn to uphold the weak. Oh, this one's my favorite slash least favorite. Be patient with all. Ay, 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 ay. Be patient with all. Everybody, Lord, everybody, you sure about this? Be patient with all. You know, Sometimes you, in, in ministry and in church relationships and in the family of God, you deal with people who aren't as advanced in the things of God as you are. Right? Let me say that one more time. Sometimes in the body of Christ and in the family of faith and in the church, you deal with people, you interact with people who are just are not as advanced in the things of God as you are. More often than not, you are the person who's not as advanced in the things of God as you think you are, right? It's true. I remember uh, hearing a, a pastor say that one time. He said, just about every single person I've ever counseled thinks they're way farther along in God than they actually are. And he put himself in that statement too. Amen. So what's required? Patience. Patience. I'm sorry that so-and-so ticked you off. Get over it. I'm sorry that somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do. Just get over it. I'm constantly saying it to our leaders here, uh, and, and my wife and I are reminding each other of it all the time. She reminds me of it, quite honestly, more than I have to remind her of it, if I'm being really truthful. You know what? You just got to be patient with folks. Yes, yeah, so-and-so let you down. This is one of the challenges and one of the criteria for leadership is that you have to be okay with people that make mistakes. You have to be all right with their mistakes. You don't lower your standard. We still want to expect the best of everybody and pull them up and help them move forward. But in doing that, when they, when they fail, you, you got to be okay with it. you got to be patient. That's how you keep the move of the Holy Spirit going in a church. It doesn't, it sounds counterintuitive. You mean that, you know, the thing that's going to bring about the power of God in our church is not frothing at the mouth prayer. It's actually just being nice to each other in the parking lot. Yeah, it is. Because God doesn't put his blessing on messy chaos. Hello. God doesn't mess, uh, bless your chaos. He blesses our attitude when it's right. Amen. He, well, I'm talking about his blessing by his presence. He doesn't come and overshadow a bunch of our nonsense. He wants us to walk in love with each other. And then we're going to see his power manifest in a stronger way. It's amazing. It's amazing. You doing okay so far? Let's keep going. Verse 15, this just continues to carry on here. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, 
but always pursue what is good for both for yourselves and for all. See that no one renders evil to evil, evil for evil to anyone. What does that mean? It means give up this idea that you got to get revenge. It's amazing to me how 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 vengeful Christians can be. Am I talking to anybody this morning? It's just amazing to me how vengeful we can be. And I, listen, I'm guilty of it. I've done it. You know, somebody ticks me off and I'm like, get them, Lord. Get them. Squish them. Praise God. I, I speak confusion over their life in Jesus' name. You have a bad day at work tomorrow in the name of Jesus. No, come on. Come on. That's not the love of Christ. Do you remember? Do you? <laughs> you, know, you know who Jesus was the most relaxed around and who he enjoyed being around the most? The children. Do you remember when he was, he was ministering and the disciples, bless their hearts, were trying so hard to keep the kids quiet and keep them away from Jesus. You gotta, you gotta honor the prophet of God. He's here and he's preaching. He's gonna raise the dead. You stupid little kids, get out of here. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Suffer the little children. What does it mean to suffer the little children? It means shut up and put up with them. Get over yourself. So they got some poopy, stinky diapers. Big deal. Let them come close to me, for unto such is the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) Well, you know, the church is filled with babies. Some real babies, some actual physical babies, and some 40-year-old babies. Right? Yeah. And you know what? We, we have to be patient with all of them. Don't, don't be so vengeful. See that nobody renders evil for evil. If somebody does something to you, the first thought on our mind ought to be forgiveness. And, and the thing is, it's not hard to arrive at that place, that place of forgiveness. It's really not hard to arrive there if we're honest with ourselves. Because you deserve forgiveness just as much as I deserve forgiveness, just as much as everybody deserves forgiveness. Always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Verse 16, here it gets a little more positive. Rejoice always. Oh, but it didn't go the way I wanted to. Maybe I didn't get the word that I wanted to get from the person who was ministering. Maybe I didn't get the result that I was looking for. Rejoice always. Just rejoice anyway. I'm sorry that it didn't happen the way that you wanted it to. Praise God. Let's rejoice anyway. Amen. Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Now, I could spend, oh gosh, hours talking about this verse. Pray without ceasing. It doesn't doesn't literally mean that you pray and that you never stop praying, that you never stop speaking. But it's what what this this verse, pray without ceasing, means is it's a reference to a dialogue. Paul's saying, get in dialogue with God and don't get out. Start a conversation with the Lord and don't stop it. I used to fret over this verse because I would see it, you know, pray without ceasing, go, Lord, what about, you know, like when I'm going to the bathroom, you know, like what about, what about when I'm sleeping? I already talk in my sleep, keeps my wife awake. What about, you know, what about that? 
supposed to keep praying? I can't control that, Lord. What about when somebody's talking to me? Should I just cut them off and pray in tongues loudly? Is that what I should do? That sounds kind of rude. No, when you understand that prayer is a dialogue, it's two-sided, then you recognize Paul's giving us an invitation into a conversation with God. And he says, get in that conversation with the Lord, start it, and then don't leave. Let, talk to God about everything and let him talk back about everything. You want to steward a good move of God? You want to keep the fire going of what started in you last week? Get into a prayer routine with the Lord. Get up in the morning and pray. Seek God. I've found that in my own personal life, the two greatest things that are the most valuable to me in my relationship with the Lord is, number one, my prayer time. Prayer time. Prayer works. And number two, reading the Bible, not just reading a devotional. We have become, and I have nothing against devotionals. If you love a devotional, that's good. But we've become a devotional dependent society where my quiet time cannot be defined apart from whatever the hottest, newest devotional is. I got to get this devotional because it's so amazing. I have found that the best stuff comes out of me reading the Bible for pleasure. It really does, man. It, it, it just it comes from me reading the Bible just to read it, just to enjoy it for the pleasure of it. And I'm talking about you'll get stuff out of the weirdest, driest, most bizarre scriptures. You'd be reading through Ecclesiastes and God would just, just breathe on his word and you go, oh God, that hit me in the heart today, Lord. Not reading to study, not reading for a Bible preparation of some sort, not reading out of, out of somebody else's devotional material. Again, nothing wrong with that. But what if you just opened the Bible to Proverbs and just started reading? What if you just opened the Bible to the book of Romans and started reading? You get some amazing things out of it. Enter into that devotional prayer conversation with God and then let him speak to you out of it. Verse 18, i got to move along here. Verse 18, in everything give thanks. Boy, this goes along with rejoice always, doesn't it? In everything, in every season, in every moment, in every frustration, in every high, in every low, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We're going to be doing a series in the upcoming weeks uh, about the will of God, understanding the will of God, and walking in the will of God. And this is the first thing you need to know about the will of God for you, is that you be thankful. Amen. You are not going to find God's specific will for your life, and you're not going to find the direction that he wants to give you if you bypass this. Don't expect the Holy Spirit to speak wisdom to your heart if you don't obey the things he's already been speaking to you. Can, can you say amen to that? A lot of people say to me, oh, I just need a word from the Lord on that. I say, well, you got a word from the Lord on that. It's right in front of you. Read it. Amen. <laughs> Are you having fun this morning? I'm just kind of meddling a little bit, and I hope that's all right with you. I'm almost done. Verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. I like uh, maybe the NLT or the Message Bible. One of them says, don't quench the Spirit's fire. I, I did some, I, I looked at this word quench in the Greek this week, and I found that it meant two things. 
it's either the suppression. It, it, first of all, it's, it's referenced, uh, it's connected to fire. It's used like eight or nine other times in the New Testament, this word quench. And it always references fire. And so um, it, it, it's interesting. It, it means one of two things. It either means to douse and to quench and to cover up a fire. Or it's used one other time um, to describe a fire going out on its own. Isn't that interesting? So when, he's, when he talks about quenching the Spirit, he's either talking about don't put the Spirit out in your life, don't, put a, don't throw a wet blanket on what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life, number one. Number two, don't let what he's doing die by refusing to feed it. Anybody ever had a fire that you wanted to keep going? you got to keep putting wood on the fire. you got to keep feeding it. So, so we, we spend our lives feeding one of two things. We either feed our flesh or we feed what the Spirit of God's doing in our life. We either feed on and feast on the things of this world or we feed on and feast on the things of God. One of those is going to stir the fire of God up in our lives. The other is going to quench it. Either by just shutting it down and stuffing it out or by just over time letting it die. Don't quench the Spirit. When God starts something in you, be faithful to keep it going. Amen. Ask him. How do I do that? Ask him to breathe on you again. Lord, you ministered to me so powerfully last week. Would you do that again for me, Lord? Would you, would you keep pouring into me? Would you keep, you know, building and stoking the fire that's on the inside of me that you put there? Would you keep it going, Lord? Would you do it again? Don't quench the Spirit's fire. Number, uh, verse 20 do not despise prophecies. This is very important. Very, very important. Do not despise prophecies. The word despise in the New Testament means to think little of. To marginalize would be another good way to say it. Don't marginalize prophecies. Maybe it doesn't make sense to you what God spoke to you. But hold on to it. Because at some point in your life it'll make sense. Or it'll be proven wrong. One or the other. Either the person said something and they missed it, and, and you just, you know, it never comes to pass, that's fine. Or it doesn't make sense to your mind right now. It's too big for your thinking. It stretches you just to even imagine that that prophetic word could come true. Well, one of, the, one of those two is going to prove itself in your life. It's either going to be, it's going to be right on the money, and you're going to grow and grow and grow until that prophecy comes to pass in your life, or it's just going to prove itself to have been somebody's mistake. They made an error. So what do you do? Get mad at them? No, be patient with all. Paul already talked to us about that. <laughs> Selah. Don't marginalize or think little of prophetic words. Because when we do, we suck them of dry of their power. Amen. Verse 21. I'm almost through, guys. You doing okay? Stick with me for just a couple more minutes. We're almost there. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. This is one that needs some careful consideration. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. This requires some careful consideration because it would be very easy to take this verse and make something negative out of it. When you take a test in school, 
You're not being tested on how many you get wrong. You're being tested on how many you get right. Right? So when the scripture tells us to test things, it's not giving us a license to embrace a critical spirit and attack and find something wrong with everything. It's actually quite the opposite. It's instructing us to investigate and, and, and take a hold of whatever is good. Do you see the difference? An old, wise Pentecostal preacher used to say, even a dumb old cow smart enough to eat the straw and spit out the sticks. Even a dumb old cow smart enough to eat the straw and spit out the sticks. What we have in churches a lot of times, particularly in our culture, because you don't see it in other parts of the world. We have folks who get hyper offended at something that somebody said that they didn't like and they miss the rest of everything that they said that was really good. When, when the scripture is inviting us to test things, it's not doing it so that we can find the flaw. It's doing it so that we can find the gold and hold on to the gold. Are you with me this morning? Don't embrace. Listen, the body of Christ does not need your critique. Amen. The body of Christ just doesn't need your critique. The Holy Spirit is smart enough to correct every church and every person in every church in the way that he sees fit. We don't need your opinion. <laughs> Amen. Oh, you don't understand how hard it is to speak. The, I'm actually happy the crowd's a little thin today because there's less people I got to talk to about this. This is not an easy subject. But it's, boy, is it ever a critical one. Because otherwise, we'll look at a scripture like that and say, see, see, the Bible gives me a right to judge this situation. Mm -mm. The Bible gives you a right to look at every situation and try and dig and find if there's anything valuable in it. Not to get mad about the things you don't like about it. Amen. This is a lesson that I have to learn all the time. Test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. That should go without saying, but Paul said it anyways because we probably need to hear it. Now may the God of peace, watch what happens, watch what happens, verse 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. When you and I Make a, you know, make a commitment in our hearts to steward what God is doing. Do you know what happens? God himself gets involved. The Father. The Father himself gets involved and begins to sanctify us. Do you know what the word sanctify means? It's a Bible word. It's a word we don't really use in our day-to-day -day conversation. The word sanctify means to purify and make ready for use. Do you understand that what God is going to do in your life and in my life as we yield to him and as we steward the move of God that he wants to do in our church and in our community, as we commit to, to care for that move, to care for his spirit working in our churches, to care for what he wants to do among his people, as we begin to do all these things he's commanded us to do, he himself actually gets involved and begins to fashion and shape and prepare us to be used in that very same move. 
One of my greatest joys, I'm through, one of my greatest joys is when I get to see God's hand come into a person's life and change and and smooth out and rearrange that person and turn them around and see them become an asset in the same move that God got their hearts with. Does Does that make sense to you? I'll never forget the first time I got to see a man named Bob. It was in my dad's church in Florida, same church that I was telling you about earlier. Bob came to us. His wife actually came first. Bob and Joe. Her, her name was Joe, J-O. And Joe came to our church and had been coming for months, maybe even more than a year. And their marriage was on the rocks, man. It was in a tough spot. And Joe was so faithful, and she was just serving and serving and serving. And finally, she got Bob to come to church with her one day. And and Bob came, and God got a hold of him in one of the services. He came for two, three weeks, and he kept coming, and he, I don't think he really liked it. I don't think he cared for it that much at all. And then one of these, one of these sermons, one of these services, something happened in Bob that God just, just got a hold of him. And he just came and he just wept and he fell down before God and he just said, Lord, I, my heart belongs to you. I've been missing it for so long. I've been messed up for so long. I've been treating my wife poorly. I've been doing all the wrong stuff, Lord. He just came face to face with his own sin and his own mortality and his own, all, the, all of his own junk. And he realized Jesus would save him and Jesus would, would, would embrace him and make something of his life. And Bob came and just submitted his whole heart to God. And what I got to watch over the next six months, over the next year, is that as Bob got his heart invested in the word, got his heart invested in the things of God, the Lord began to turn that man's life. It was the coolest thing I'd ever watched. I got to just stand back and go, wow, Lord, you're amazing. And Bob became one of the, like, one of our favorite ushers and greeters because he became so happy. He came in so crusty. He was crusty, man. He was just a kind of a, had a crusty personality. Just sort of, mm. And as, God, as the word began to work in his life and as God worked in his life, his life turned so radically But it happened over time. It didn't happen in one service. It didn't happen in one moment. Yeah, he got his life right with God in one moment. God met him in a moment. But then God took him on a journey. And and on that journey, Bob just started changing. And it was the most satisfying thing I've ever watched in ministry. How God systematically turned this guy's life around. And I thought, Lord... That's what I want for every person. That's the kind of life transformation that I desire to see in each and every one of us, in each and every person that comes through the doors of this church. I want to watch God turn them around. And what happens is they become a tool in the hands of God and they become an asset 
in the same move of God that turned their life around, now they are an agent of transformation and they are seeing others' lives turned around. That's the goal of God. That's why he says in verse 23, put it up back there on the screen if you would, verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May the Lord come and get involved with you himself and turn your life around and prepare you to be a tool in his hand. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, what God wants to do in our church is so significant. It's so substantial. I'm more convinced of it now than I ever have been. I'm more convinced now of the calling of God, of the, of the importance of our church and our community. I am more passionate about it and more stirred up about it right now than I ever have been in my whole life. I'm so convinced that God's going to use you. Not just me, not just Brianne, not just some church leaders. God's going to use you on your job, in Walmart, in the community, when you're sitting around the, the coffee table, when you're sitting across from somebody that you love, God's gonna use you. It's not just gonna happen here on Sundays. It's gonna happen on Tuesdays. It's gonna happen on Thursdays. It's gonna happen on any day that ends in Y. God's gonna use you. Because that's his desire for our church and for our community. I'm more convinced of it now than I ever have been, man. So what do we gotta do? We gotta buckle up. We gotta prepare our hearts. We gotta be prepared to be patient with everybody. <laughs> oh, just I know it's tough sometimes, but we gotta do it. You gotta be patient with everybody. You gotta set your face to spend time with God. Man, I wanna challenge you. Get into the word. Get into the word. Listen, the things you're looking for, the answers you're looking for, here's where you're gonna find them. A lot of people have questions about God, but they're not willing to ask him. Hello. A lot of people have questions about the Spirit of God and the things of God, but they're not willing to actually go to the source and find out their answer. Get in the Word. Commit to prayer. We are going to spend a good portion of the remainder of this year studying on prayer. I'm going to be preaching about prayer. I'm going to be talking to you about prayer. We're going to do a prayer series. I've just given you like the next two series that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the will of God and we're also going to talk about prayer because I want your life to become a life of prayer so that God can work in you in unprecedented ways. Don't quench the spirit. Don't let what Jesus did that was so good last weekend, don't let it go out. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Won't let Satan... Poof it out. I'm going to let it shine. You know, there's so much good stuff in those kids' songs that we learned back when we were in, in Sunday school. There's some good doctrine in that. I'm going to let it shine. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.